So I just wonder if you could think about a question for me and stay right there before the Lord because we're going to go right back there. Um, what would you have to do? Think about it seriously because you're going to try to throw this off because you're a Christian kid. What would you have to do? What would be necessary for you to do that make God not love you? What is it? And I know you know in your head there's nothing because you know the verses. And I know you know logically that nothing, but we live very differently, right? So I'll ask a different question. What's God think about you? What's God think about you? Does he like you? Does God like you? And I know some of you right now, you don't like answering that question because it feels like sentimental and like mushy. And I know some of you even are going real hard theological on me right now. And you're like, you're making small of the holiness of God. And I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm making big deal, a huge deal about the finished work of Christ. The reason that I can run in like a kid and you are adopted sons and daughters, are you not? If we believe the gospel, that's the gospel that we get to run in, that we get to know, that we get to ask, that we get to be like my kids who bug me all the time. And I mean that in the most loving way, bug me all the time. So what's God think about you? Does he like you? And the reason it matters is kids that know they're loved live different. Kids that know they're loved just like flourish. I mean, just it's just, you can do studies of kids that didn't know they were loved and then what happens to them later on. You are loved. It is poured out over you. That's the gospel. And so we were singing two songs ago, maybe three songs ago, like your kingdom come, uh, your will, that whole thing right there. That's taking on new meaning to me because you know what? The, The reason the kingdom's awesome is because it has a ruler. And so I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite the ruler of the kingdom, Jesus, to come here. And I know some of you are like, well, this is presumptuous. I'm gonna ask him to come here and he is because he's good, because he loves you. And he is still full of compassion for his kids and the broken and the downtrodden. And so if you need to sit, that's fine. If you need to kneel, fine. You stay right there. Like, I don't like to stand in the middle of the stage when I do this because, like, that's how expectant I am. Jesus, the ruler of the kingdom of heaven, would you come into this room, please? And would you speak to your kids? Would you tell them what you think about them? Satan, shut your mouth. The only voice I want to hear, the only voice we want to hear is yours, Lord. Would you speak? You are most welcome in this place, Lord. You are most welcome in this place, Lord. So come in, King of glory, the Alpha and Omega, the firstborn over all creation. You're welcome in this place. We sing songs to you because you're alive. We pray prayers to you because you're alive. You hear me right now. And so I sit you, church, before the living, holy God of everything who bids you come in because of the blood of his son. Ask him right now. You ask him, what do you think about me? And then listen.
So Jesus, we don't boast in anything save you. My boast alone is that Jesus Christ's word is true, that you are mighty to save. And that regardless, if we felt like we heard this great thing or got a new revelation, your word stands. For God did not send his son into the world to, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so we run in, Jesus, because of your work. We run in, Jesus, as righteous sons and daughters. We run in and herald the goodness of God, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, glory. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that we have no claim in any part of that. You did it all. And so we bless you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. And I do ask, Jesus, for a revelation of your love to be poured out on your people. It sets us free. Because 1 John 1, 9, for perfect love casts out fear. May your perfect love fill us. May it change us. Thank you that everybody in this room right now is not here on accident. So move in power this morning, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that you're the one that rules that kingdom and you're amongst us, in our midst. We honor you. In your name, Jesus, by the blood of the lamb. Amen. Would you just do me one favor before you sit down? Would you just give somebody a big, big hug, like a huge hug? Thanks. good to worship God with you all. I'll tell you that. It's good to worship God with you all. Can I get a what? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's good to worship the Lord. Like, who is like our God? The answer, nobody, right? Praise Jesus, man. He's real. He's alive. He hears us. Woo! It blows my mind. All right? So we are going to finish a series today. It's called the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 21, which is the very end. You thought we ended last week, but ha, we did not because there's one character in the gospel of John that still has not had the, the resurrection Christ and his power applied to his life, and his name's Peter. Now, a lot of us in this room were like Peter, even though we're trying to not be like Peter. Uh, what's the worst mistake you've ever made in your life? Do not yell it out. That would get awkward, right? I mean, what's the worst thing that, like, I can feel a couple moments that are very similar to Peter. If you don't know anything about Peter, Peter's a very boisterous man. He makes claims like, no one loves you, Jesus, like I do. That's a boisterous claim, is it not? 
All these other guys, they love you, but then I'm up here on another level. And Lord, I will die for you. I will go to prison for you. I will do, I, I will never not follow you, Jesus, right? So he kind of boasts. And so the context of where we're headed is the aftermath of him falling on his face. Now, here's the context. In Luke, you don't even have to go there. You're in Matthew, you're in, you're in John 21. We're gonna be in verse one. But Jesus is talking to Peter after these boisterous claims. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. Luke, or Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, I've joked about this before. But if you ever hear Jesus say those words to you, just say, can you go back and tell him no? Like, like do, you, do you almost hear him going, what'd you say? Did you tell him no? He can't sift me? But Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So what does Jesus know Peter's going to do? Oh, we're not talking to me today? That's cool. I'll preach different then. That's fine. What does is, what is Jesus know Peter's going to do? Fail, deny, turn like a little coward and run away. What does Jesus know you're going to do? Fail. He tells them it's coming. He says, but I prayed for you, but I love you, Peter. And when you turn, because you're gonna turn, because I'm gonna turn you, I want you to, rest, I want you to bless, I want you to be restored to a place to strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And Peter does deny three times. So three times, little girls come up to him and go, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, don't even know him. You look like one of those apostles, one of those disciples of Jesus. No, I, I don't know the man, right? And then the third time, right as soon as he says, I don't know him, I wasn't with him, the rooster crows and he runs away weeping bitterly. Because he, like, who in there, like, oh my gosh, he was right. Jesus, I am a coward. I did fail. I'm not worthy. I was so boisterous, I'm embarrassed. And in John 21, you have the aftermath of that. And here's what's amazing to me. We find Peter on the side of a lake, but he was in the room with Thomas last time we talked. So all the apostles are gathered together. They're waiting there. And Jesus comes through a wall, if you were here last week, and he looks at Thomas, because he's full of love and compassion for Thomas and the doubters of the room. But I, don't, I guess he'd never talked to Peter at that moment. But Peter's still dealing with some shame. And so here's the thing with Christians. We harbor shame like nobody else. You would think we would be the most free people in the world, that we would just be giddy joyful, that there is no shame, that there is no condemnation, that I could come in and talk to God at any time. But that's not what I experience with most Christians. What I experience is a lot of shame over silly stuff. I missed my quiet time yesterday. God must hate you right? Like this is, and you're like, ah, like we're laughing because it's absurd, but that's what we live. Peter did this on a grand scale though, right? Because Peter did mess up. But I messed up this week too. And the beauty of the gospel is if you are an adopted son or daughter, if you are in the hand of God, who's going to take you out of it? She gets it. 
No one. No one is. So in chapter 21, verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. Revealed himself again after what? After showing up to Thomas, after the resurrection, after showing up repeatedly, after being resurrected and being like, I'm alive, he reveals himself again. The thing is, when if you were to read the Gospel of John, you would thought last week was the end. And that 21 feels like kind of tacked on a little bit. Um, but it's not. Because these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by, by believing, you may have life in his name. I said last week, I love the Bible because Thomas is in there. I equally love the Bible because Peter's in there. I feel like Peter a lot. I'm a loud mouth. I spout things off. I condemn things way too quickly. I just, and, and on a level, I feel Peter's pain a little bit, right? You ever, have you ever felt Peter's pain? Where you said to Jesus, I will not dishonor you. I will bless your name all my life. I love you, Jesus, more than anything. And then the next day you found yourself mired down and struggling with sin. You should all be like, yes, even though you're not gonna do it because we're in church, but yes, I felt that. And I felt the shame that the enemy started speaking over me. And so Jesus today, hear me, the living God today wants to take shame off of your life. There is a freedom of joy and life at the hand of Christ that I have a hard time explaining. But that's what I want for you. The fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the joy, the fullness of an invitation from a God that knows you're imperfect, that you will trip up, that you will sin, that you will disown, that you will deny, that you will do worse things probably. Because you're like, all he did was say, I don't know him so he didn't get crucified too. What's so bad about that? Obviously he understood the weight of what was happening because he's running away. And so you find him in verse one, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. I love that the Bible doesn't even care about these last two guys. It's just like some two other dudes were there and they were there. And here's the thing, Peter is there, but I wonder why he's there. If Jesus is resurrected, you've seen him with your eyeballs. He materialized through a closed locked door. Why are you running back to your old occupation? Because you're not quite sure if it's for you still. You're not quite sure if this mistake over here is gonna keep me from running with Jesus as he's resurrected. Because Jesus, or Peter, used to be a fisherman, did he not? And he says in verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So Peter returns to what he knew, what was comfortable, and what he was good at. They, all those other guys, said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. If you're like me, when I was first like kind of Jesus getting hold of me, I would run to Jesus headlong during the summers, and then I would go back to school in the school year, and I would go straight back into my sin. So I know what this feels like. When in that moment, Jesus captures your heart, and then all of a sudden you go back to the boyfriend, you go back to the sin, you go back to the relationship, you go back to what, whatever it is, and it's not the same, where you're like, this, this, this isn't fun anymore. Because you've been ruined for the things of the earth, and Jesus is calling you. He's not 
pushing you out. He's calling you in. And I think this is what happens. He went back to his old life, but it wasn't the same. He didn't catch fish. He's out there and he's miserable because he's like, I denied him. And in verse four, it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not, not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, once again, don't just blow through scripture. It's there on purpose. All of a sudden, Jesus is standing there. And they don't know it's him. Why is Jesus standing there? Who's he there for? Peter. He's there for Peter. And I I feel like a thing I hear a lot out of younger Christians is, why would God care about me? Why would God care about me? I'm just like a 20-year-old Ugg-wearing, I don't know, that's where, that was random. Sorry, I'm just a nothing. I'm not, why would God care about, I don't know, why would God care about Peter? Why does God care at all? Because he's good, because he's full of love, because his compassion has no end. There's no one like our God. So Jesus is standing there to get Peter, because he told him, Peter, you're gonna get sifted. You're going to fail. But I've prayed and I'm, you're going to be restored. And so Jesus wants to restore some of you to the full thing that he wants to do in your life if you'd let him. If you'd let him. Peter has a choice now. And here's the thing about Jesus. He just said the worst things ever you can say to a pair of fishermen. Like three things, actually. Right off the bat, I don't know if you noticed, he said, children, they're grown men. Try that with your husband later, men or women. Like Just be like, hey, child. He'll love it. He'll love it, right? Uh, secondly, he said, hey, you kids, you catch anything? Like fishermen love it when they come back empty-handed and you make a point to show them that they don't have anything. And then finally, he gives them advice. Try it on the other side. No, over on the right. So you could see Peter. I, I mean, if I was them, I'd be like wrenching that net like on the other side, huh? And then finally, probably just out of a little bit of anger and probably a little bit of pride, he's like, what, do you mean like this? And like throws it over the side, right? Because this is, I'm Peter, you've done this, I've done this. Um, and, and then what's about to happen, I think Peter then realizes. But before we do that, why is Jesus doing this? Like, why does he ask these questions like this when he knows the answer? Why is he like, hey, is it going all right for you on that boat? Or does it suck? He's trying to get Peter to acknowledge that it's not working. He's trying to get Peter to acknowledge that it's broken. He's trying to get Peter to acknowledge that he's run back to something that he feels safe in, but it won't hold him anymore. And I feel we do the same thing, right? So God comes to us and he's like, is it working? And sometimes out of my stubbornness, I'm going, yeah, it's working really well, God. And all God wants me to do is be like, it's not working. I need help. And the moment I go, I need help. Who is right here? Jesus. It's beautiful. It's the gospel. And so in verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He still had undies on. Chill. 
and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat. They were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So the disciple that Jesus loved is John's title for himself, right? Way to stay humble, bro. Like, right? So I guess talking in third person is fun. Uh, but if, anyway, that's not the point. The point is two questions. Who goes running to the tomb at the news that Jesus is resurrected? Two guys, Peter and John. Mary Magdalene comes back. The Lord's tomb is empty. And I picture these guys knocking over the doors, kicking open the door. I have to see this. Why is Peter running to the tomb so quickly, so fearfully, so like, could it be? Maybe because he's like, maybe I can make this up. Secondly, who jumps out of the boat at the realization that it is Jesus? Peter does. Because he's like, oh my gosh, it's him. His heart, he loves Jesus. He's just dealing with some shame. All right, And then in verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, sometimes people like to make big deals out of things in the Bible. I actually read commentaries that told me the number 153 means something. It doesn't. 153 fish, okay? This is a large number that God, through Jesus, was like, throw it on the other side, and exceedingly abundantly more things came into the net than they could do on their own strength. That's the whole point, all right? Now, what you need to notice is, what does Jesus already have and is already doing when they get there? He has a fire, and he has, so does Jesus need their fish? No, right? He doesn't need their fish. But here's Peter. They get back, and he's swimming, and he gets up, and he's like, do do you need anything, Jesus? And he's like, oh, haul those fish. I'm hauling the fish for you, Jesus. Do you see me, Jesus? I love you, Jesus. Will you forgive me, Jesus? You ever see a kid do this? You ever see a kid get really in trouble, and then, like, for the next week, they're really good? You know what I'm talking about, parents? where they just like talk sweetly and they clean everything. Yes, right away, mother, right? And then it goes away. This is Peter right now. He's trying to earn something that is only given. And this is some of you right now. You are strenuously working that God might forgive or might save or might do something to cover over this this mistake, this denial, this sin. I don't know what it is that you're strenuously fighting for God to notice you, but that's what Peter's doing. But Peter says, or Jesus says to him, a simple invitation in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. That is amazing. Come and eat with me. Kind of sounds really similar to Revelations chapter three. Come and eat with me, guys. Come and sit with me. Come and know me. And that's the invitation of the gospel. And so I think what Jesus is trying to do is show Peter that it's not about what he does or how boisterous he can be or how successful he is in ministry or how many fish he caught. Does he know him? Does he know Jesus intimately? Does he talk with him? And then in verse 15, you have this interaction where it looks like Jesus is trying to wound Peter, but he's trying to set him free. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, I like to live the Bible like I'm in it. So I imagine, here's Jesus right here. And he looks you in the eyeballs and he says, Margaret, Suzanne, I don't know, Bill, do you love me? What do you say? You're like, Lord, you know I love you. And then what after that? Do you list off your quiet times, Bible reading, Greek reading? Do you list off a bunch? Or just like, I love you thoroughly. Bless you. Like, do you, do, what, what would be your answer? And then maybe what, if, what happened would happen if he said to you in verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. What if God asked you again? What if he was trying to reveal something that maybe you were holding on to that was holding you back from fully loving him, which is experiencing all the life that God bought for you on the cross? So in Jesus asking Peter these questions, he's trying to get to the heart of it. That Peter is holding on to shame. Peter is holding on to this idea that works will get him back into the good graces of Jesus, but he never left. He asks him a third time. Verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So there's a thing that I think some of you could be experiencing right now. You're remembering where you fell short and you're experiencing a thing that's not from the Lord. It's condemnation and shame. But there's another thing some of you could be experiencing this morning, and it's a good thing. It's from the Lord. It's called godly conviction. It's when God says to his sons or daughters, it's time to grow up, but you're not out of the family. And so some of you need to hear Jesus ask you, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this? And he's going to point something out. Do you love me more than Netflix? And I know some of us laugh because you're like, ha obviously I love the Lord more than Netflix, but I just spent 17 hours binge watching it, right? So it would be logical if Jesus was trying to free you up to love the best thing in the universe that he would point out things that you're loving more than him, right? This is what he's doing with Peter. Jesus looks you in the eyes. Do you love me more than fill in the blank? And that's where I want you to spend time with Jesus today. Ask him, reveal in my heart, God, where I'm replacing you and love for you with something I shouldn't be. And so Jesus is doing this out of his tenderness for Peter, that his basis for acceptance is not his performance. His basis for acceptance is Jesus's work finished. So some of you in this room, your biggest enemy to accepting all that Jesus did is self-sufficiency. It's not your sin, it's that you're self-sufficient. When people ask you to get stuff done, it gets done, right? Why? Because you're skilled and smart and proud. Self-sufficiency will keep you from embracing the Lord as he wants you to. And so in verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, 
follow me. What Jesus just told Peter is, one day, Peter, you are gonna go, you're gonna come up good on that promise to follow me. One day, Peter, you're gonna follow me unto your death by crucifixion. And that's that whole like reaching out as a kid. So there's this, this picture, right? You reach out to a parent to pick you up. You stretch your arms out. Dada, that, right there, right? He's saying there's going to be a day, Peter, where you're going to stretch your hands out and you're not gonna cave. And it's not gonna be because you're strong. It's because you know me and I love you and that will embolden you. And, and so how did Jesus turn Peter a guy who was so shaky in his faith that he denied Jesus three times into this guy that would endure crucifixion, which I hear is pretty rough. Was it new doctrine? Did Jesus teach Peter any new doctrine there? Just say no, he didn't. Did, Did he give him practical steps? No. It was through an experience of the grace of Jesus. That was what all was. He experienced the love, grace, and mercy of God, and that transformed this man to go be a pillar of the church. And so when Peter stretched out his hands in his own strength, I'll never deny you. I won't ever fail. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do this. What did he do? He failed. And then Jesus says, when you stretch out your hands in intimacy and the knowledge of my love, you'll stay strong. You'll die for me. And it won't be you, it'll be me in you. And so this morning, I want you to stare at Jesus. We learn a lot about Jesus in this scripture. And the biggest thing you see is he's faithful even when you aren't. Our God is faithful even when we're not. My faithfulness runs out. Jesus has never does. Like restoration is being offered to Peter just out of the pure goodness of who Jesus is. Jesus is applying the resurrection to Peter's life. And so I believe, like I said, that the love of God is pursuing you this morning. Specifically, those that are un, like full of unrest. If I asked you, Christian, what characterizes your life most in Jesus, would you use the word rest? Like, I'm talking deep-seated, take a deep breath. Man, he loves me. Wow, rest. Or is it a lot of striving and doing and trying? Because that's Peter's life. But what comes after that is a lot of, where's the spirit want me to go? I spoke as I was led. I'll go even unto death because he loves me. This is the transformation of Peter. And then I think those who have shame hanging on them, you, you feel like you maybe failed Jesus at some point. He's not disappointed in you. And so I wanna get that off of you and I wanna bring freedom to you And I know some of you even now, because you're type A and you're like me for most of my life, you're saying in your head, I'm gonna make a plan to never disobey again. Like you're type A, you got an Excel spreadsheet probably on your phone right now, like, all right, tomorrow morning, we're getting this thing kicked off at five in the morning. Like you're just, you're you're like, I will, will, I'm gonna make it so I I don't disown him again, so I don't have to have shame again. But that's not how this works. The two things is submit and surrender, submit and surrender, submit and surrender. Here's my life, all of it, Lord. All the ugly, all the bad, all the sad, all the good, all the whatever. It's all yours. I surrender to you. Do what you want. 
That's what I want you to do today. That's where I want to walk into today. And so I want to pray, but I want to push one thing, that if you're in here and you don't feel like, when I asked you, what's God think about you? You, you literally were like, I don't know. Or you were like, uh, he's a little indifferent towards me. I, I think he wants me to get, you know, grow up a little bit. Or I don't know what it is. What would you say? I want you to come and get prayer. If you have shame sitting on you, if you feel like I can't pray because I feel like it's hitting the ceiling, come and receive prayer. We're gonna step right back into worship and song. But before we do, I'm gonna sit you before the Lord and I'm just gonna pray and then I want you to listen. That's it, just listen. And so Jesus, here's your people again. I set them before you. And that question you asked Peter, I, I, I want to bring to them. Do you love me? And I know all of us in this room, God, we want to love you. And in some way we know in our heads that we're supposed to love you. But God, it was your great love poured out for us first that made us able to do that. And so, Lord, would you reveal your love to your kids? Would you pour it out? And right now, because you're a good dad, when, we, when you ask us that question, would you reveal what we're clinging to that's so less than you? Just because you're good and you're gentle and you're not trying to drop an anvil on our head, you're trying to free us up. And so Holy Spirit, speak to your kids right now. Reveal the idols. Reveal the things that we're running to that won't satisfy. What's something we're loving other than you.